The Leap Foundation proudly presents the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman. Dr. Bill is a TV host, New York Times bestselling author, two-time Guinness World Book record holder, fitness guru, celebrity cosmetic dentist, and philanthropist who founded the Leap Foundation. Here's Dr. Bill. Hey, Dr. Bill here. So I'm super excited to do this podcast with you guys. For those of you that don't know, I don't know why. This is crazy because we have not advertised this at all, but our podcast, Meet the Mentor, is in the top 2% of all podcasts worldwide. It's crazy. And we keep picking up more and more steam. You see this little trophy behind me? We are in the top 100 podcasts in 100 countries. Actually, now it's more like 115 countries. So it just keeps going and going and going. So please, please, please tell your friends, spread the word. And when you listen to an episode and you like it, five stars, baby, um, because that really helps push it up. So let me tell you about our guest in one second. Why do we do these podcasts? Well, this really started organically. You know, for those of you that don't know, we run a motivational leadership program called LEAP every year for high school and college students age 15 to 25. And LEAP has grown and grown by quote unquote leaps and bounds. And it's been an amazing experience. Unfortunately, 2020, LEAP was totally virtual. 2021, LEAP was virtual and live. So we did a hybrid program and that worked out so well that forevermore, we will do a hybrid virtual mix. But the whole objective of LEAP is to give kids an opportunity to learn the skills that they need to learn to be successful in life. And we do it by bringing in amazing mentors, Mark Wahlberg, Anthony Hopkins, Paula Abdul. This year we're getting Richard Branson, um, Kathy Bates, uh, Michael Strahan, Apollo Ono, Usher, on and on and on and on. It's just been phenomenal. And I love interviewing people that have been successful in their career and sharing that success with you guys as students, not only to kind of give you an idea of what their life can be like, but also some of the struggles that they had to uh, overcome and you know, kind of the victories that they've enjoyed and how they did that. And most importantly, to kind of give you a background of, you know, if I want to be a dentist, doctor, actor, lawyer, what do I need to do? So without further ado, I'm going to introduce you to our mentor for today. This is Elliot Knight. And Elliot was introduced to me by one of our favorite people, mine, Elliot's, and probably all of Leap's, Mel Green, who's been a patient friend and client of mine. Ah. It would age us to say, but probably close to 30 years. At any rate, Elliot grew up in Birmingham, England. Um, he quickly became one of the one-to-watch actors in the entertainment industry. He was last seen as a series regular on the CW series, series Life Sentence, opposite Lucy Hale. Before that, he was a series regular in the CBS drama American Gothic. Other credits include Merlin on Once Upon a Time, Aiden Walker on How to Get Away with Murder, and of course, the title role Sinbad in Sinbad. <laughs> Elliot has most recently been a guest star in the new DC 
Universe streaming series Titans as Don Hall, AKA Dub. While acting is his main focus, Knight also has a love for music and has been involved in music-based projects since he was young. He also loves sports and was a runner, swimmer, and avid rugby player throughout his teen years. He continues to run and swim in his downtime. On the charity front, um, Elliot is involved in a handful of organizations, including PETA, Stonewall, Mercy for Animals, and the Big Life Foundation. Without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to Elliot Knight. How are you, Elliot? Oh, babe, so good. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here, especially on your new accolades that you have for the podcast. It's very inspiring. I love your backdrop there. It looks very official. Thank you. Yeah, it's a, it's a little, it looks like a shelter, some people think, um, or a weird gym. It's just a little corner of my apartment. I've made my creative space uh, for my own podcast that I'm launching soon. So uh, it's nice to have some good use for it. So Elliot, you grew up kind of in the sports and whatnot. How did you kind of transition from all that into drama? I mean, it's a good question, actually, because I don't know. I don't think it was a transition so much as they were a couple passions I had in my life alongside each other. And I always loved doing music in school, doing sports in school. My dad was a PE teacher. My mom used to run track. So it was always something that was in my blood and a passion of mine. And I think the discipline and enjoyment of sports, especially in school and being parts of teams, went hand in hand with the teamwork of being part of uh, a company or a theater production or even just in drama school getting to do that. Um, uh, honestly, sports is something that I miss now and wish I had more of now, but now I get more of my teamwork and creativity through acting and that different passion, but they're pretty much side by side um, my whole life, I would say. So you transitioned from kind of high school into the Manchester Drama School. You spent three years there. And I always love to ask, especially actors, like, what was your big break? I know what it was, but why don't you share it with everybody? Because it's crazy that you went right from drama school into a lead role in a series. It really is crazy. I still don't believe it now, honestly. It's, it's something that most people can spend most of their careers and years and years trying to get to, and somehow it landed in my lap immediately. Uh, but I went to drama school, as you mentioned, for three years at Manchester Met uh, or Manchester School of Theatre, studied the stage. And then before the end of my third year, I got an agent and an audition for this uh, fantasy adventure family series called Sinbad of Sinbad the Sailor. And uh, for me, I was just excited to have an audition. Thought, wow, if this is a sign of the kinds of things I could be auditioning for after I leave drama school, that's amazing. I, I'd love to have a representative who sees me in these lead roles and as a hero and I could do something substantial like that. Did not expect to get it, but that's exactly what happened. Um, after, I think about four rounds of auditioning and they saw a few, I mean, they saw a lot of people all around the world. So I was definitely not expecting to be the one that got that job. But uh, I, I did, and it honestly, it, I don't know whether to say it changed my life is the right expression, but it definitely set the main events of my life in motion of the last few years. And I still feel like I'm riding off a wave of that moment, of that, that initial success for me, and a light shining down the path of what could come. Um, this has always been inspiring and a nice reminder to think back on. 
You know, at LEAP, we always talk about, or I always talk about life-defining moments. And sometimes we plan them, sometimes we don't, sometimes they happen. I mean, this was certainly a life-defining moment. And I love the fact that they typecast you because you are exactly what Sinbad should be, right? <laughs> oh, Bill. Um, you know, it's been interesting. It, it's While it was one of the most enjoyable experiences I've had, it's definitely will always be one of the most eye-opening for me, you know, to get dropped into this incredible job and opportunity and get to learn so much, not just the technical aspects of how, you know, the screen, TV and film acting works, but also how entertainment works and how Hollywood works. And, um, you know, as someone who, someone of quote unquote diverse identity, opportunities like that to be the hero of something or the lead of something or, or not suffer under stereotyping is hard to come by it's difficult to find well i mean let let i mean let's be blunt about this they literally cast you as an arabic person which you're not absolutely and not and then, part of my decision making or any of the information i had but yeah that that's true and then the crazy thing is and this is something you shared with me when we spoke earlier is that you know as an actor you need a stunt double so tell us about your stunt double, because I think that's just hilarious. It, it's hilarious and terrifying, honestly. Um, I had uh, a, a stunt double who's an incredible performer, um, uh, a wonderful guy too, and still a friend of mine today. Uh, but yeah, he was, he's a white man. Uh, I am clearly am not, but he was, you know, used as my double and there was a lot of action in the show. So every episode, there's many, many shots of, uh, you know, this performer. Uh, but the upsetting thing was every day, you know, I did this job for like nine months and pretty much every day in the makeup trailer, I'd come to work, get ready to do whatever the scenes were that day. And James would come in and be sat beside me and they would um, paint him brown, literally paint his skin brown with uh, what they used for me as dirt makeup for scenes to look like I was scruffy. And they would paint him and then kind of put our arms next to each other and test and see if that they got the race right. Uh, pretty much every day, his whole upper body. And, you know, it's, it's one of the many experiences I've had that while I'm grateful for the opportunity, you are reminded that it's not necessarily uh, <sighs> as it appears on the surface all of the time. It's, it's so, many, so many thoughts and decisions led to that situation being okay. Uh, and it really isn't. And a lot of people just don't understand that. So yeah, it was a very valuable experience. And I mean, course. at one point you even asked, why can't you hire a stunt double who's black? And what was the answer? The answer was there are no black stunt performers in Hollywood, which yeah. is not true. And, you know, but again, it's, it's my, as a newbie to the industry, it's my first ever job. You don't want to do anything wrong. You want to make sure that you're, you're learning and impressing people. You think you're learning the ropes. And, you know, it was a shame, a great shame in that situation that I was being, in that sense, fed information that was just not true. There are so many talented, hardworking performers of all different kinds of identities who, in my opinion, should have greater access to opportunity um, especially that can fill it with more integrity. And that was not an example where it 
happened in that specific sense. Um, but it's something now because of that experience, I keep forefront of my mind whenever I do work and I'm making sure I can try and have all the spaces around me that I have any say in or input into, make sure that they're filled with the right appropriate kinds of people and talent uh, so that we can all flourish, you know, and we can all have opportunities to success. Absolutely. So you did a year at Simbad, and then at some point you decided to jump across the pond. What inspired that? I love uh, the UK, which is where I'm from, but I think I've always been someone who wants to move around and I get more inspired by changing environments and a change of pace. And I had decided, I think on my 24th birthday, I wanted to be based somewhere in the world instead of just flying around a lot and staying with family, staying with friends, doing some work. Uh, and I ended up getting a job offer for a series, How to Get Away with Murder, that I'm sure a few people will have heard of for their first season. And uh, I took that as my sign. It's like, okay, it shoots in LA. So I will go to LA and I, that was it. I didn't, I didn't overthink it. I just trusted in the flow and I moved here. I did one guest episode and then waited for about four months <laughs> every week thinking I'd be working and wasn't and then got to do another episode in the end. But it was the opportunity that got me out here and has led to so many of the other wonderful things I've got to enjoy in my career so far. And uh, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very grateful for it. What would you say has been the biggest challenge in your career as an actor? Um, I love that question. I, I have to say, personally, it's, it's trying to stay connected to and empowered in your own identity while also working and not leasing out your own integrity um as as a uh, as an, a person of color as a black actor as a mixed race actor in person as a queer actor in person in entertainment in hollywood it becomes very clear very quickly how there are more challenges for someone who ticks those kinds of boxes to just be seen on an equal level as other people or get to tell their stories the way that they would like to or even to have to convince other people why their stories are worth telling to people. Um, and, you know, that's definitely a struggle that has existed from day one of my professional career until today and will continue, is finding a way to not have to negotiate your own value for other people's acceptance. Um, it's obviously a tricky industry anyway, regardless of your identity. Yeah, like, I mean, I'll tell you something. Being married, my first wife was an actress, and being married to a woman who was really talented, um, and she was German, and made a choice to dye her hair black from an early state. Well, in Hollywood, Germans are always blonde. Right. So they would never cast her as a, as a German because they don't have the creative vision to see a dark haired German woman. So I can just imagine, you know, what it's like. It's just ridiculous. Like just put a wig on her or something. But yeah, it, something. they just absolutely don't do that. And I think that it's, it's really, you know, to your credit that you stand up for that and, and that you, you know, won't kind of play that, that game of, 
trying to be somebody you're not just to get a role. Thanks. Well, I, I mean, I appreciate that. And I definitely agree. It feels worthy to be a part of because it's not just self-serving. It's not about me as an individual. You just know, especially when you're someone who's had an experience other than the norm, or you have an identity other than the norm, uh, you understand that there's nothing sideline about your life. It's still just as important and valid as anyone else's next to you. And so to have a perspective where you don't other people, you understand individuals and individuals, it does give you a good approach to, I think, more balanced work and a more balanced view of the world. But uh, it, it, my motto is um, for Hollywood, it's uh, entertainment is education if we allow it to be. You know, it's, it's, it's very easy. It's very simple, I should say. It's very simple to create entertainment in any shape or form, um, uh, even to a, a fairly mindless degree sometimes. And that can be fun. It can be comforting. But entertainment today, especially with how far it reaches globally, there is such an impact, whether we know it or not, such a huge impact on the social consciousness of how we treat each other, how we see each other, how we value each other. And that is fed by things that you wouldn't think of, uh, like how characters are portrayed in your favorite TV show or whatever your favorite Netflix binge show is to watch or movie is to watch, how the characters are portrayed, how they're written for, how they're cast, how they look, who's writing for them, who's making the decisions for what their life looks like, their family looks like. They're all, they all seem like small decisions within Hollywood, but within the scope of the impact it can have, it's so much bigger and more important that we focus on allowing integrity into these spaces. If there is a black stunt performer who can double for a black uh, actor, open the door for that person because it's full of integrity. It doesn't mean somebody else couldn't do the job, but it's about how appropriate is it? How, how, how much ability is there to really fulfill a space with something substantial and meaningful that's gonna have important ripples rather than just a few shapes and colors on a TV screen. It can be fun, but it's, it's, yeah. not, it's not my- No, no, I, I hear you. Um, my, my, my dear friend and patient, Mariah Carey, did mm. a Christmas special last year. Right. And I was shocked. Did you know that all of the elves in the North Pole are black? What? In her series, they are. <laughs> no way. I love it. Yeah, Mariah <laughs> did her show. And so she did just what you're saying. She's like, screw it. I'm in charge. Every single elf was black. Every, like, <laughs> it was unbelievable. It's she so did just what she wanted to do. And I loved it. And it's an opportunity to showcase something more than one single stereotype or idea. Absolutely. Absolutely. So I think Absolutely. we never have more spaces to show variety than we do right now, especially with streaming services and there's such a wealth of content, but in, you know, I think there's definitely a strong argument to be made that if we keep filling uh, an ever-increasing space with the same ingredients all the time because it, it's a, a working recipe, we're not actually going to grow anything that we're doing. We're just going to keep repeating and copying, and it, you know, it becomes dull if it's not already dull to you already. There's so many more, uh, you know, spices to life and flavor to life than just. A recipe that worked once. I think I'd like to encourage Hollywood to experiment some more and maybe let some other people experiment too. Let some other cooks in the kitchen for a second. So I have a question. If you could wave a magic wand Dude. and have like the role of your lifetime, 
<laughs> what would that look like? Well, I know exactly what it would be and I don't want to jinx it just in case. Um, you're not jinxing it, you're blessing it. Oh, well, that sounds nicer. Well, I, let, let me, I'll say it like this. When I grew up uh, with my dad, we loved um, the James Bond movies. We watched all of them. He would record them on VHS off the TV, have all the little ad breaks, it was cute. Uh, uh, and I loved doing that with him. It was my first example of a hero, someone uh, charismatic, someone who's doing uh, good, some, you know, just not a stereotype of someone necessarily, someone who can have charm and personality to them and doesn't just have to be this rugged, uh, insensitive uh, brute, just like forcing their way through situations in life. Uh, and so that, you know, the franchise Bond has always been a huge inspiration point for me whenever I think about the kind of uh, hero or character I have the opportunity, not just to embody and present myself as, but to represent a whole community of people who might identify to someone like me. Because when I grew up, I didn't have a role model as such uh, as an actor. I didn't really have anyone who I thought, oh, there's someone who's black or mixed race like me or gay or queer like me who's a hero that's being celebrated there's someone that i can actually aspire to be like or follow in their footsteps i didn't see anyone like that uh and i didn't want to be any of the other things i felt like i was being pushed into the corners of um just to be you know some shady guy or a drug dealer just because of the color of my skin or uh, just to be completely over sexualized or a, a fear point for people because i'm queer um, I want to represent something stronger and truer, more wholesome than that. Uh, and so anything that fit those categories, I'm here for. If it was James Bond, would I be mad about it? No. But also, I'm, you know, I'm going to be happy with whatever opportunities I have to try and fulfill that space for myself and for other people. Well, you know what? I think we need to share this with Mel. Because if anybody can make your James Bond dream come true, it's Mel. <laughs> it's true she's the queen the queen of dreams. she is she's probably on it right now this thing will type right now going for it oh my gosh that would be amazing amazing so let me ask you this if i'm a student you know watching this or listening to this podcast and acting is my real passion what should i be doing to prepare myself best for success in, in that profession? Well, I would say, and people might obviously say different things. Um, I went to drama school and for me, the great value of drama school was getting an agent at the end because the agent was the gateway into the industry. Of course, the training is valuable too, uh, but I, I wouldn't say that it's necessarily for everybody, um, especially, you know, in the UK drama school is, is a lot more, uh, catered for stage uh, discipline. And if you want to be doing TV and film, that might not be the, the most valuable place to go. But I would say, whether you train or not, whether you go to classes or not, if you can afford to or not, I, I definitely advocate for people just doing their own work and staying connected to their passion. If you can't get to an acting class or drama school or something like that, that isn't a no to your path forward. It just means that you have more work that you can do yourself. So find what it is that you love about what you want to do in acting. 
if you love films, if you do what kinds of films, which actors do you like, which directors do you like? Uh, if it's TV, what kind of shows do you like? Do you want to write things? Do you enjoy that as well? Is that something that can aid your success as an actor? Find the things that you connect to the most and then create, don't wait. The, there's a lot of waiting around in this industry. Even when you are working, there's a lot of waiting and your life is on hold. The advice I would wanna to give to people now is don't wait for anything. That doesn't mean rush, but every second minute, hour, day of your life is valuable. Rest is important in that. Living your life without worrying and having to strive for something all the time is a part of that too. But there are valuable segments of time where you can always be building your craft, no matter if you're going to a class or not, if you have a job or not, if you're auditioning or not. You can constantly be building your well of resources that is within you as a person. So just do that. Watch things, write things, and don't wait for somebody else's yes to be your own. You don't need to do that. Always allow yourself permission to create and not have to set standards for yourself. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, there are so many facets of the entertainment industry that, you know, you can really, you know, embrace. I mean, if it's musical theater, if it's mastering accents, if it's cold reading classes, if it's improv, if it's, I mean, you should always be studying, always be making yourself better. But the Dr. Bill's uh, me is going to kick in and I'll say, always have a plan B. Why? And, and, and not to kill dreams. I mean, I know there's a lot of kids out there that will be superstars, but the biggest, most frustrating part, and I'm sure you'll agree with me in the entertainment industry, and I know this from years and years of being in it and watching people in it. Let, let's take it, for example, Anthony Hopkins, who yes. hates to be called Anthony. You have to call him Tony. You know, Tony comes in and I'm like, Tony, how are you? He goes, ah, Doc, unemployed. And I think he's joking and he's not. He's like, look, I just finished a big job. He just got an Academy Award, another one. And he goes, and now I'm unemployed. I'm like, come on, man. Yeah, I mean, you're probably the most famous actor in the world. It's, it's yeah. a heartbeat before you get hot. He says, no, there's no guarantees. You never know as an actor if your job, your next job is your last job. I treated Esther Williams. Esther Williams was Hollywood's MGM's biggest star. They, they created, they built a, a, an Olympic swimming pool on the lot for all of her films because she was, a, you know, an Olympic diver and every film she did had a huge water sequence in it, right? And on Esther's 30th birthday, she walked into MGM headquarters thinking she was going to be getting some big birthday cake, blah, 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 blah. And the entire team of executives said, Esther, congratulations on an amazing career. She said, thank you. They said, we hope you enjoy this last film. She goes, what do you mean last film? I'm, I'm, I, I, I'm your biggest star. I'm your biggest box office grossing actor in history. They said, yes, but Esther, nobody wants to see a middle-aged mermaid. You're 30 years old now. So this is your last film. And guess what? It was her last film. That was it. They took her from, they said, 
please, you know, you, you need to retire at the height of your career. And that was it. They literally sh shut her down at wow. 30 years old because she was going to be a middle-aged mermaid at 30. And that was her last film. And this is the kind of mentality that you're dealing with in Hollywood. So from Dr. Bill, I always say, have a plan B. Hopefully, you'll never need to execute it. I don't know if you know who Marsha Cross is. Marsha was one of the lead actresses on Desperate Housewives. Oh, she yeah. Her, yeah, red, the redhead. Okay, well, Marsha was on a very popular series called Melrose Place. And when that finished, she couldn't get work to save her life. So she went back to school and became a, 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 a therapist, a psychotherapist. And just as she was about to launch her career, Mark Cherry called her in to read for Desperate Housewives. So for years, she just did not work. And then boom, along came this role. So, you know, from Dr. Bill, I always say, have a plan B. Hopefully you won't need it. But at the end of the day, no matter how talented you are, no matter how passionate you are, no matter how whatever you are, we all need to eat, right? I agree, yes. And actually I'd love to underline that and say, it's really important to understand as an actor, your self-worth separate from your career goals and aspirations. I love that, yes. I mean, it's what you say. If you should put everything that you can into your passion and what you want to achieve, but you have to understand that you are a valuable, healthy human outside of and next to that, because otherwise your entire world of self-esteem, self-value is in the hands of other people constantly. And unfortunately, just it's a numbers game, you are not going to be Hollywood's priority. No individual is at any guaranteed point. So if you can have a plan B, if you can also have have a passion that you keep uh, protected, I would say. Keep it safe. Have something that you love. Say if you love playing guitar and you love singing, choose something that you can keep separate from work, something that isn't uh, part of the stress of creativity that you need to achieve, something you can go to for recharge and to rest. Have that and know that you have something separate that fulfills you that is within your control and is safe. And then you can have- I agree a, a thousand percent with that. But also have something you can monetize. Yes. Because having a passion for a guitar isn't going to put food on your table most of the time. Right. You know, and I think from, you know, my involvement with actors and actresses over the years, the biggest frustration that they all face is the fact that you are not in control of your career. There's a bunch of ninnies who are. I mean, honestly, a bunch of real ninnies sometimes are in charge of your career. I was very fortunate. My career as an actor was as a dentist on mm. TV shows. So mm. whether I worked or I didn't work on reality TV, it didn't really affect my life. Right. You know, I could still feed my family. I could still, you know, but when your whole income is dependent on your acting. And you're right, it's very easy to take that rejection and kind of internalize it and feel like, like a failure, like you're no good because you're not getting jobs. That's, that's horrible and painful. 
It is. It's unhealthy too, because it really isn't a reflection on the value that you have. And, you know, it's, it, it's an exciting, but often unjust industry. And, and you hope that always the best person, the most hardworking, most deserving person will get every job all the time. That's just, it doesn't work out that way. It can't work out that way all the time. And that is something that you learn to navigate. Uh, if it's not already easier for you, you just need to understand you can't take it personally. Have a, have a personal investment in your efforts and why you want to do it, but know that not everyone is going to understand your reality and your value of the first time or second time or even third time that they see you, see an audition tape or see your name. You have to be the one that holds on to that. You have to totally. know so that you can keep going. All right, so big question. What's next for Elliot? Ah, well, it's been, um, as I'm sure a lot of people listening to this will relate. It's been an interesting couple of years with everything going on in the world. Um, I've been in LA for a couple of years, kind of, uh, it feels a little stranded. Um, and I'm the only one out here. My family's back home in England. But uh, I, uh, in a month or so, I'm actually heading off um, to do a movie uh, in the Canary Islands. So kind of a vacation. Well, that's how I'm thinking of it anyway. Um, which is really exciting. I'm going to go and do that and then uh, uh, go see my family for a bit and get some of that recharge time that we're talking about is so important so that I can uh, be ready for whatever is happening next year. Are you allowed to say what the movie is? I don't know if I am, but... Uh, then don't. Yeah, but, <laughs> yeah, it'll be on the safe side. Um, but it's a, it's a little uh, uh, horror movie that I'm excited to go and um, uh, uh, lead with a bunch of talented people from the UK, so... That should be some good fun. Well, I hope you don't get killed. They always kill people off in those. Well, the number of times I've been killed unnecessarily, <laughs> even to be brought back to life. It's like a weird, I don't know. It's like people want to see it. Uh, no, let's see. Hopefully I'll be all right. All right. Elliot, thank you so much for, uh, for doing this. I really hope that 2022 Everything will be live again. I would love to have you come sit right next to Mel when we do our uh, mentor workshop so that students will get to see you in the flesh. I would love to do that. Please, if there's ever an opportunity, uh, let me know. I love what you do with the LEAP and I think it's, it's so important to share the things you do, have these candid conversations and let people know the truths and realities of things rather than just the allure so they can be well informed. And, uh, and best of luck to everyone who's listened to this today. All right, thank you. Hey, Dr. Bill, over and out. To learn more about the Leap Foundation, go to leapfoundation.com or find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash leapfoundation or on Instagram at leapfoundation. Listen to the Meet the Mentor podcast with Dr. Bill Dorfman on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.